0: Numbers chapter 16, Numbers chapter 16, and I want you to say there when you are there. There, there, there. It will be a wise move for you tonight to go ahead and place a marker, some type of, of something that you can get back and forth to Numbers 16. This is going to be the, the heartbeat of our passage for our sermon tonight, but we're going to go many other places as well. Are you there in Numbers 16 with me? Yeah. Let's look at verse 1. It says this, Korah, son of Eshar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, and certain Reubenites, Dathan and Abiram, sons of Eliab and Om, son of Peleth, became insolent. Everybody say insolent. Insolent. And rose up against Moses. With them were 250 Israelite men, well-known community leaders, who had been appointed members of the council. So this is a pretty prestigious group. The Bible, one of the, uh, the Hebrew word behind this really says that they're men of renown. These are important men that decided to follow Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. They came as a group to oppose Moses and Aaron. You know what that word in the uh, Hebrew is? They came as a group. The word there in the Hebrew is that they quahalled together. That's the same word for those of you who aren't familiar with that Hebrew term. It's the same word that's designed in the in the noun form, to be the very assembly of God's people. The holy assembly. So what they did was they were trying to come and formulate a different kohal, a different group within God's people. They came as a group to oppose Moses and Aaron and said to them, you have gone too far. (laughs) So these people are talking to Moses and Aaron saying, you guys have gone too far. The whole community is holy. Well, that's an interesting statement, isn't it? Hey, everybody here is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is with them. Why then do you set yourself above the Lord's assembly? As we start off tonight, it's a very interesting thing. When you read in Jude, in the book of Jude, a singular chapter, they talk about the way of Cain, the the error of Balaam. And Korah's rebellion as three separate things that it points back to all the way near the end of the scripture, near the end of the Holy Writ and it says, Hey, these are three things that are very, very important for you to stay away from the way of Cain. Everybody say way of Cain. Way of Cain. Balaam's error. Everybody say Balaam's error. Balaam's error and Korah's rebellion. Everybody say Korah's rebellion. Korah's rebellion. What an interesting thing that Korah is assigned this rebellion. It encapsulates what's going on here. And what they're saying is they are actually, the truth is, is what we found out as pastors is when things get bad, if you listen to people, if you listen to accusations that are thrown against you, many times, at least in our world, at least as pastors, what people are doing is they're projecting onto you. (laughs) They're actually worried about something and they're accusing you of something. Anybody ever been falsely accused? Right? As you're going through, they're saying, hey Moses, you guys have gone too far. What are you doing here? The truth is, is that Korah had gone too far. That what he had done was setting himself up above the assembly. But this is what's getting accused, what's getting thrown at Moses here in this case. Turn down to verse 16. Chapter 16. We're going to look at verse 16. It said this. Moses said to Korah, you and all of your father's followers are, are to appear before the Lord tomorrow. You and they and Aaron. Each man is to take his censer and put incense in it. 250 censers in all and present it before the Lord. You and Aaron are to present your censers also. So we got this. We have the 250 men that were following Korah and Dathan and Abiram. And they're supposed to bring their censers that were supposed to be used to minister before the Lord as incense. You might have seen it in in certain orthodox or other types of ceremonies where you see someone carrying a censer that has the coals from the fire from the altar of God that was supposed to be burning a sweet, sweet fragrance before the Lord hey, here's what I want you to do. There's 250 men that are with him. 250, that is not a small group of of prominent city leaders. Can you imagine 250 of the, the best leaders or the most renowned leaders in our city coming together and having this happen? Look at verse 18. So each man took his censer and put fire and incense in it and stood with Moses and Aaron at the entrance to the tent of meeting. They still had to get the right kind of fire for this. Look at verse 19. When Korah had gathered all his followers in opposition to them at the entrance to the tent of meeting, the glory of the Lord appeared to the entire assembly. Wow. This this is becoming a very, very intense moment. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Separate yourselves from this assembly so that I can put an end to them at once. Who is is the Lord wanting to put an end to here at once? (laughs) The entire assembly. And the Lord is looking at Moses and saying, look, I want you to back away. I want you to get away from this. In the midst of judgment, God is saying, I want you to be careful. I want you to move away from what I'm about to do. Because if you stay close, you might get caught up in it. This is the God of all creation as he's about to bring judgment. Also showing incredible acts of mercy in the process. Can you see that? It's like a child. What do you do? You tell them to get away from danger. You don't wait till they're caught up in it. You're saying, no, 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 no. Don't go close to there. There's, that's dangerous. Stay away from that. You stay away lest you get pulled into something that you shouldn't be in. Separate yourselves from this assembly so that I can put an end to them at once. You guys know this story. I know that many of you know this story. But think about it. Pretend like for a second you don't know what's about to happen. If you were Moses or if you were Aaron, what would you do? I mean, people just came against you. They were just trying to, they're trying to bring accusations against you. What would you do? Okay, the Lord said for me to move back. But look at what Moses and Aaron do. Take a look at verse 22. But Moses and Aaron, the Lord says to separate. And look what they do. They fall face down and cry out to the Lord. Oh God, God of the spirits of all mankind, will you be angry with the entire assembly when only one group of people sins? Is that what it says? God, are you going to be angry with all of us when one man sins? Now how in the world can Moses and Aaron look at this and say that there was only one man that was sinning in this moment? There was Moses... There was Dathan. There was Abiram. There was 250 other men. So there's at least 253 people standing there. At least. Not including others that maybe aren't named. That are part of Korah's family. And they're there and Moses and Aaron cry out and say, Lord, are you going to get mad at us? Are you going to harm us all for one person sinning? Wow. The thought that the sin of this people is encapsulated in one person is an incredible thought. It's an incredible thought. Hold your place here and turn to Genesis chapter 18. (coughs) Genesis chapter 18. When we're dealing with any amount of discipline... The question that comes up in the human heart really is what is encapsulated in Genesis 18 and verse 23. Let's take a look there. Genesis 18 and 23. It says this, Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Isn't that what we're always worried about when some discipline comes up? Lord, but what about these that appear to be innocent? Lord, but what about the innocent in this situation? And this is the question that Abraham... The father of the faith asks The faith asks in this situation here in Sodom and Gomorrah, are you going to sweep away those who are good with those who are not good? Are you going to sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of 50 righteous people? Far be it for you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? Come on, look at that phrase. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? Hey, my friends, I, you know the answer to that. He's saying, uh, Lord, how about for 50? And you know the story, right? He, he keeps whittling, and it doesn't just start at 50. I mean, it doesn't just end at 50. It just starts there. How about 50? How about, how about 45? How about 40? Come on, do I hear 30? Do I hear 30? Do I hear 30? How about 20? 20? 20? Do I hear 20? Do I hear 10? 10? He gets it all the way down to 10. And you know what the answer continues to be? I will not destroy the righteous with the wicked. I will not destroy the righteous with the wicked. I will not destroy the righteous with the wicked. While I am judging the wicked, I can also simultaneously protect the righteous. Our God is so good that He can do both at the exact same moment. He can judge the wicked and encourage the righteous. He can judge the wicked and punish them and reward and cause the righteous to thrive at the same moment with the exact same thing. Anybody ever had any difficulty in your life that actually helped you in the long run? And you look back and went, man, I thought that was a bad thing, but it caused my family to grow and get better. Anybody ever come into the kingdom that way? You thought it was something horrible and God was knocking on your door and getting your attention? The truth is, is we don't always do good with only God's blessings. We tend to start forgetting Him the moment we get blessed in the continual way. We actually need the adversity. But here we're talking about that the righteous will not be harmed or judged along with the wicked. I love the fact that our God does that. And I love the fact that Abraham asked the question. I love it. He's, he's the, the father of the faith going, are you going to... Lord, this is a big deal. You're, gonna, you're about to wipe out a whole double city here. Sodom and Gomorrah. I I just got to ask you this question, Lord. Turn with me to Romans chapter 5, verse 18. Romans chapter 5 and verse 18. Say there when you're there. It says this. "Consequently, Consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men. So also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners. So also through the obedience of the one man, many will be made righteous. How can Moses say, will you destroy us all for the sins of one man? Because Moses had an understanding that this is the the bigger picture of the entirety of Scripture. Through one man sin entered into the humanity. And through one righteous man, righteousness entered. The first Adam brought sin in, and the next and the last Adam brought righteousness in. We're seeing this as a constant. Let's go back to Numbers sixteen. Numbers chapter sixteen. Let's start in verse twenty three now. Then the Lord said to Moses, so in response to Moses asking this question of the Lord, the Lord says to Moses, say to the assembly, move away from the tents of Korah, Dathan and Abiram. What is God doing? He is showing his mercy to them immediately. Lord, are you going to punish everybody? Okay, let's have everybody back away. Isn't that exactly what he told Moses and Aaron just a few minutes prior to that? He said, you guys back away. Moses got up and went to Dathan and Abiram. I tell you what, before we do that, let's, uh, yeah, no, keep going on 25. Moses got up and went to Dathan and Abiram, and the elders of Israel followed him. By the way, I love our elders. I love the fact that we have Mark Morrison here with us tonight. And Miss Brenda Morrison. And all of this family. Man, this is a beautiful thing. You know what I know that the Lord is going to do for us? If we've got the Morrisons here, it's going to have to be a good night. Morrisons are an incredible elder family with the arising church up in Crystal Lake. You have incredible elders here at this church. You know what these elders do for you? Elder Baj, Elder Charlie? They follow exactly what the Lord says. They follow the teachings. And here we see it. The elders of Israel were following Moses. Moses warned the assembly, move back from the tents of these wicked men. Do not touch anything belonging to them or you will be swept away because of their sin. Well, that doesn't sound very fair, does it? How can I be swept away for someone else's sin? The idea is that you're swept away not because they're sinning and you're innocent, but because they're sinning and you've become a part of what they're doing. You're going to be swept away because of the sin of someone else. But again, he doesn't. He will always take care of the righteous and the wicked rightly. He's not going to sweep anyone away innocently, even here. That's why he's saying, show that you're not with them and back far away from this. Get away, clear out of here, or you're going to be swept away with them. A few scriptures, Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17. I'll just read them to you. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. What's the very first thing? You have to be called out from among them. You can't stay where you are. You can't even get saved this way. How many people you know that try to get saved and stay around the same friends? Stay around the same environment? That never works out well. There has to be a separation of the righteous and the wicked. Ephesians 5, verse 8. Ephesians 5, 8 says this. For you were once darkness. Everybody say darkness. darkness. This, this, this passage means so much to me, and I don't quite know why other than the fact of this. It doesn't say you were once in darkness. Poor baby, your only problem was you were in the wrong circumstances. If only you were in a better environment. No, the Bible says that you were once darkness. When we are separated from Him, we are not just in darkness, we are Darkness. But now you are light. This is the reciprocal part of that. You were darkness and now you can become light because He is in you. The light of life now resides in you. So you are not just possessing light. You have the light inside of you. You have the source of light inside of you. But now you are light in the Lord. What are you supposed to do? Live as children of the light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Let me be. Uh, let me pastor you here just for a minute. It is not enough for you to recognize when someone is doing wrong and stay quiet about it. Ooh, they're doing something wrong. Hmm. They're doing something wrong. Well, I'm not going to join in have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness, but what are you supposed to do? Wow. Well, pastor, isn't that kind of harsh? Doesn't that turn into a... Aren't you becoming overly critical? No, no, no. Here's what we do at this church. We're going to try to push everything towards exactly what the Word of God says. If you like it, if you've been trained something differently, if you've been trained... to Whatever it is, we're going to say, this is the standard, and we are all responsible to come up to the standard. If the Bible says that we are supposed to expose the deeds of darkness, then as your pastors, we are trying, to, trying our hardest to set that example for you. Amen. And you are responsible for it just as we are. What would you think if, if I uh, put up with gossip? If you came up to gossip to me and I just said, tell me more. I should be rebuked by the elders. That's why the elders are here. Mark, that's actually why he's here. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> right? Right? The elders are here and they would rebuke me and they should. Brothers in Christ should come up and say, wait, I don't know what you're thinking, but you need to be rebuked. And I'd go, oh, amen. Psalm 141 says it's like an oil upon my head. Man, this is exactly what I need. Because exposing the deeds of darkness allows you to cause the separation in your own life so you are not contaminated. In 1 Timothy 5.22, it says this, do not be hasty in the laying on of hands. By the way, we're going to talk about laying on hands this Friday night. in discipleship helps. And do not share in the sins of others. Well, that's pretty clear. But keep yourself pure. Revelation 18, verse 4 and 5. It says this. Then I heard another voice from heaven say, Come out from her, my people, so that you will not share in her sin so that you will not receive any of her plagues. For her sins are piled up to the heavens, and God has remembered her crimes. Boy, it actually sounds like we're almost back in the book of Numbers, doesn't it? If that at the end of time in Revelation is still saying the same thing, how important is it for us today that we come out from among them and be separate? That we not allow ourselves to be more compassionate than the Lord? What does that mean? That means, well... That means when we feel a certain obligation to do something that is outside of the scope of Scripture, pastor, what they need is, what what that person right there needs is just a little bit more empathy, just a little bit more sympathy, just a little bit more help. What if it starts to pollute those around them? What if it is like a cancer that's spreading and harming many, many people? What about that? Do we just let it keep going? Who are we going to decide to help? oh, we're going to yield to the Word of God and the standard that God has and it will always work out rightly. We've got to come out and be separate. Amen. Let's look in verse 31. Verse 31. It says this, As soon as he f- I'm sorry, 31 of number 16. As soon as he finished saying all this, the ground under them split apart. And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them with their households and all Korah's men and all their possessions. You know, it's an interesting thing that they're labeling possessions here, right? Yeah. We hadn't heard anything about possessions yet. That doesn't seem to be an important item. But you know what? We know that in the Word of God, there's not one syllable, not one letter that is misplaced. Yeah. Why do you think they included the possessions? Because the possessions had a part in this. It had more of a hold in Cora's heart in these men's heart than you might think. Perhaps they were after selfish ambition and personal gain, all the, t- all the while proclaiming that they were only after what the Lord had in mind. Verse 33, They went down alive into the grave with everything they owned. The earth closed over them, and they perished and were gone from the community. The first level of punishment that we see here is that the earth swallowed them. Everybody say the earth, the earth swallowed. That is a pretty big deal. Let's not pretend like we're so you know, we've been in church all our life. We're standing here, we all back away, a cavernous pit in the earth opens up, and you hear people falling into the grave. And then the earth closes back up. People have a hard time, people who aren't touched by God have a hard time believing the word, and this would be one of the stories. They're like, that's got to be some uh, allegory. It's got to be some exaggeration to prove a point. Kind of like Aesop's fables. They're just trying to teach you a point. This was really bad, so the earth. No, no, no. The earth actually swallowed them. Do you think of rebellion and division and divisiveness and factions to a life or death matter? Because the word of God puts it there. The judgment was swift and complete. When Jesus brings judgment, he can completely and totally remove every remnant of the offenders. Wow. Look at verse 34. How would you respond? I, I don't, I can't, it's hard for me to say how I'd respond. My mouth would be open. I don't know if I'd cry. I don't know if I'd fall to my knees. Let's see what the Israelites did in verse 34. At their cries, at whose cries? Korah, Dathan, Abiram, as they were falling in the earth. At their cries, all the Israelites around them fled, shouting, The earth is going to swallow us too. Okay. Everybody look up from your Bible. We got it on the screen for you just so you can see it. Why in the world would that be their response? Anybody have brothers and sisters in here? Anybody ever had a sibling that got a spanking that you know you should have got to? Or should have gotten in place of them? Somebody's getting chewed out for something you just did? Let's put it in the workplace if you don't have siblings. Somebody gets fired for doing the same thing you did three times last week? Your response is, I'm going to get on out of here. <laughs> Why? Because <laughs> the earth is going to swallow me too. This is bad news, man. What happens if something happens to someone else and you're standing in a righteous stand? Is your heart that the earth is going to swallow us too? No. Or do we trust that the God of all creation will not punish the righteous with the wicked. Amen. Yeah. If we're standing in righteousness before the Lord, we're like, wow! But my response is not, ah! For myself. Yeah. Because I've already taken care of my walk with the Lord. Yeah. I listened to what He said and I removed myself from it. I did whatever it was necessary to get away from the problem. And then when I saw that God's judgment happens, I'm going, just and true are your judgments, O Lord. You are a righteous God. If I don't feel that way, I'm going to get my feelings right by looking at your word. Their response shows me and it tells me that there is guilt because maybe Cora was saying some things that they felt. Maybe Dathan had said something and they kind of agreed with it really a little bit too much. Yeah. Maybe a Byram had made a joke and they really, really laughed at it because they thought it was really funny. Wow. The earth is going to swallow us too. Keep your place here. Let's look at Proverbs chapter 6 for just a moment. I promise we're going to make a turn here in just a second. I promise you we're going to make a turn towards where, exactly where each of us fit into this and what the Lord is going to do in our midst tonight. I promise you that. But we need to make sure that we are all moving back away from the judgment that God brings. That we're creating separation between ourselves and anything that is displeasing to the Lord. Amen? Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 16. Proverbs six sixteen. There are six things the Lord hates. Seven things that are detestable to him. This is the list that many would call the seven deadly sins. I call them the six things the Lord hates and the seven things that are detestable to him. Because that's what the word calls him. (laughs) All right? And I want you to listen to this just for a second. Haughty eyes. Out of all the things you're going to start with, you want to start with the fact that I have haughty eyes? That I'm going to look down on people? You're going to start with my eyeballs. Yes, the Lord is going to start with your eyeballs. He's going to start there because it's a sign of where you're Haughty eyes, a lying tongue. Wow. Hands that shed innocent blood. We can all get behind that one. Murder. Yes, that's bad. How about that lying tongue, though? Don't forget about that one or the haughty eyes. A heart that devises wicked schemes. Does it even say that that person carries them out? It's one devising them. The implication is, is if you're devising them, then you'll carry them out at some point. Feet that are quick to rush into evil. A false witness who pours out lies. Do you realize that there's two out of the seven that is about lying? Hey, folks, come on, stay with me here for a second. Did you put, I mean, maybe you guys all knew this. This is a church that really loves the word. Did you know that two-sevenths of the seven deadly sins are about lying? About your tongue? About what you say? Let's look at number seven. And a man who stirs up dissension among his brothers. These are things that the Lord does not tolerate. What is Korah doing in number 16? He's stirring up dissension. He's lying about Moses. He's giving a false witness. Let's go back to Numbers. The people cried out that the earth is going to swallow us too. Let's look at verse 35. And it says, And fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering the incense. So level one judgment. Korah, Dathan, Abiram, their families. Earth swallows. Boom. Boom. Ring number two. The 250 that thought that these were the right guys to follow. What happens? Fire comes down and consumes these men. Fire comes down from heaven. The earth swallowed the leaders and the fire of judgment swallowed the followers of what was going on. I had Justin Triester, I had the privilege of Justin Triester helping me out this afternoon. So, me being the I need all the help I can get. I was like, Justin, I want this passage. I want you to go tell me something very Hebrew about it. Ready, go. Okay, Maybe I gave him a little bit more instruction than that. But basically, you just do your thing and tell me. You know what he found out in this passage? He found out that number 16 ends after this verse in the Hebrew writing. The rest of the information is there. They leave out no text at all. But what they do is they say, after verse 35, that chapter's done, and we're starting chapter 17. This is an amazing thing. You're going to like this. We've dealt with Korah, and we've dealt with his followers. You know what that means? It's time to start a new chapter. It's time to look forward and go, this is what God did. The earth and fire came and judged the leaders and the followers. But those who separated themselves, you know what we get to do? We get to start looking at everyone else now. We're making a turn here in our service. We're going to start turning and looking at, at, at everyone else now. In verse 36, take a look. The Lord said to Moses, tell Eleazar, son of Aaron, the priest, to take the censers out of the smoldering remains and scatter the coal some distance away, for the censers are holy." Now, you remember the 250 men had each had a censer in their hand. Fire falls from heaven like some movie and they're all burned up. And the censers are on the ground covered in ash. And so he's saying, hey, look, here's what you need to do now. I need you to go collect all the censers because the censers are holy. What happens when the fire of God's judgment falls? If you are wicked, it burns you up. But if you are righteous, it only makes you more holy. When you get put through the fire, think about 1 Corinthians 3. What are you building your life with? Are you building with wood, hay, and straw? Some type of stubble that when the fire hits, you're consumed? Or are you building your life through the Word of God, through the Spirit of God, eschewing everything else around you? Looking like a fool to the rest of the world and saying, I will only build with gold, silver, and precious stones. Because what happens in the fire to those things is they get better. Bring that fire. Fire, fall down on us, we pray. Why? Because we want to invite the fire of God to come so that we can tell now if we're building with the wrong materials. I don't want to build an entire structure and get to the end of my life and say, here's my life, Jesus. And he burns it up and goes, well... I guess you can be saved through the fire. Every day, Lord, show the fire. Start with me. Start right here. I want the the judgment to begin with the house of God. I want you to start here. Because when your fire comes, I don't want to be afraid of it. I want to welcome your fire in my life. I actually want to ask for your fire. The censers were holy. And they were purified through the fire. Verse 38, the censers of the men who sinned at the cost of their lives hammer the censers into sheets to overlay the altar, for they were presented before the Lord and have become holy. Let them be a sign. Everybody say sign. sign. Okay, stay with me. I know it's Wednesday. They took the 250 censers, they, they, they beat them into thin sheets and covered the altar of sacrifice with the metal that came from the censers. They covered the altar. The central point for the Jews. What they would build their, 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 their tribes around. The central point in their life. And they built and they covered it with these censers that had been made holy. But what would you do? What if we did this? What if every person who's ever been disciplined in our church, we took and we, we mounted things on the, on the pulpit? Sorry, just drew a blank. What if we mounted them on the pulpit so that when you came down to the altar, you would see a righteous God and you'd go, Wow, I need to remember that rebellion is a life or death kind of issue. I need to remember that dissension is a life or death kind of issue. I need to remember that a lying tongue is a life or death kind of issue. That This is serious to God. I may not think it's serious because I feel like everybody's in the same boat as me. But that is not how God feels about it. That's good. The ones running around worried about getting it swallowed by the earth, this is what becomes of who they are. Wow. I, I was crushed with this earlier. They wrapped the altar. But why did they do it? Look at the end of the verse. Let them be a sign to the Israelites. Here's God's mercy seen once again. He doesn't want us to forget. Why? Because it's easy for us to forget. It's easy for us to get closer and closer and closer to what the world is doing instead of staying separate and being separate from them. Verse 39. So Eleazar the priest collected the bronze censers brought by those who had been burned up and he had them hammered to overlay the altar as the Lord directed him through Moses. This was to remind the Israelites that no one that no one can get around the way that the Lord prescribes to have something done. No one, not one of us can do that. What a reminder. The Lord is reminding us tonight of his standard. The Lord is reminding us what happens when we follow this, let's all turn to Deuteronomy chapter 13 and verse 17. Deuteronomy thirteen seventeen says this. None of those condemned things shall be found in your hands so that the Lord will turn from his fierce anger. He will show you mercy. Everybody say mercy. You may look at number 16 and see God's judgment. Before the last few days, I did too. If you'd have asked me about it, I would have told you. Hey, what's in number 16? Ooh, that's Korah's rebellion. Man, God, he got got their attention. You know what I keep seeing now? God's mercy. Step away from it. Don't you be a part of this. Step away from it. Don't get close. I'm about to open up the earth. Don't get by it. Hey, let's put something around the altar so that every time you see it, it will be a reminder of my standard. That you cannot change my standard, but you must live up to it. And I will help you to live up to it. Because I am a God of mercy. I'm going to remind you. I'm going to strengthen you. I'm going to enable you. That's what he does for us. Show your mercy. Have compassion on you. And increase your numbers. Come on, Man, we want to be fruitful in this place. You know what happens when you can navigate your way through these difficult times? You become fruitful. You become more and more fruitful. There are people in this place that I feel like that the Lord is going to start causing a season of extreme fruitfulness to come if we rightly have our hearts about the situations that we've been going through. Yes. Come on, I want to be more fruitful. Yes. I want to be more fruitful. Does anybody else feel the same way? Anybody else just completely satisfied with how much fruit in the kingdom you have? Enough people getting saved around you? Enough people getting healed? Or would you want to see more? More. That's what the Lord wants to produce in this church. 2 Samuel chapter 24. 2 Samuel chapter 24 and verse 14. It says this, David said to Gad, I am in deep distress. Let us fall into the hands of the Lord. You know this, right? This is when the census was was taken from David. And the Lord is saying, hey, you get to choose your punishment. Pick your poison. He says, yeah, let us fall into the hands of the Lord, for His mercy is great. But do not let me fall into the hands of men. Now look down at verse 25. Same passage. David built an altar to the Lord. There. Come on, where does that altar need to be? It needs to be there. And sacrifice burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. Then the Lord answered prayer on behalf of the land and the plague on Israel was stopped. The Lord is always looking for mercy. He's looking to be able to demonstrate His mercy. When we follow his will, when we step away from the sinful ways, he is able to display his mercy in our lives. Numbers chapter 9, turn with me there. Numbers chapter 9, verses 30 and 31. It says this For many years you were patient with them. How long? Many Many years. I still feel like I need this statement. I probably feel more that I need this statement maybe than ever in my life. Lord, I need you to continue to be merciful to me. Be patient with me. For many years you were patient with them. By your spirit you admonished them through your prophets, yet they paid no attention. So you handed them over to the neighboring peoples. But in your great mercy you did not put an end to them. Why would he have handed them over as a sign of his great mercy? Because he's trying to get their attention again. You do not put an end to them or abandon them. For you are a gracious and a merciful God. Boy, that doesn't sound right, does it? You let them get captured by the enemies because you're an awesome God. No, that's incredibly merciful. We don't like any discomfort at all. So we see discomfort as a horrible thing. What if it's God's mercy to us? This is what he is showing, his gracious and merciful nature. Mark chapter 5, verse 18 and 19. It says this, As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Come on, maybe some of us need to start being more declarative about the mercies that the Lord has shown us. Revelation chapter 11, verse 18. Yeah. Revelation 11, 18. Yes. It says this yeah. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead and for rewarding your servants, the prophets. You see that again? There's judgment and there's reward. There's reward and there's recompense simultaneously. And your saints and those who reverence your name, both small and great. God is not a respecter of persons. He is ready to reward those who are doing right in His sight. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. And verse 3. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. You know what our nature is, our natural state, is that we are actually objects of wrath. We forget that. We forget that by nature, if you leave us to our, ourselves, our nature shows that we deserve wrath from God but because of His great love for us. God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive. He didn't make you alive because you deserved it. You were still in the state of deserving His wrath. The truth is, is we can look at other things. We can look back in Numbers and say, man, Korah, whoo, that guy. His name is associated with rebellion, but you know what? So should ours. So should mine, so should yours. How many times have we rebelled against what the Lord has told us and yet He is showing us His great mercy and love? He's made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. The reason that any of us are standing here is that it's because of His grace which teaches us to say no to ungodliness. His mercy that is poured out upon us. Come on, let's go back to Numbers chapter 16 together. Numbers chapter 16. Let's take a look at verse 41. So what we have here is the earth swallowed the leaders. We have the fire that destroyed and consumed the followers. And now we're seeing, way back at the beginning of this chapter, Korah was saying, you have exalted yourself above. For all of our people are holy. Holy. Every one of us. The Lord is with us all. I set that as the backdrop as we begin to read verse 41 together. The next day. Everybody say next day. day. This is not six months from then. This is not six years from then. Earth swallows. Fire falls. They reshape the censers around the altar. The next day the whole Israelite community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The same ones that watched the earth open up and clap back together over them, that heard the screams of the people falling in and said, Ah, the earth is going to swallow us too. Took a nap, went to sleep, stretched, woke up, gathered together and went after Moses and Aaron. Listen to what they said. You have killed the Lord's people. Wait, first of all, who killed the people? Yeah, the Lord brought judgment, right? But it's easier to look at Moses and Aaron because you know you're not supposed to say it against God, so it's easier to say it against man and go, you have killed the Lord's people. What have you done? Um, When I see this phrase, I realize now why Korah was able to start a rebellion. I know now why Korah could get Dathan and Abiram. By the way, these people were on the south side of the tabernacle of the Lord. Dathan and Abiram and Korah were neighbors. Come on, look at somebody next to you. Say, howdy, neighbor. neighbor. Some of y'all, that's the first time you've ever said howdy. You're welcome. They were neighbors together. But you know what allowed it? There was a fostering in the people that had a rebellion in their hearts. And you know what Korah was? He was an outward sign of what was going on in them. Because they weren't stopping it. The movement was growing. You have killed the Lord's people, they said. God, what a problem with hearts. Anytime a discipline situation arises, you know what it, it encourages me? The part that's encouraging is that we should all evaluate our hearts to make sure that we had nothing, not only nothing to do with it, but that we weren't encouraging and allowing it by our very presence. What are people connecting with you over? Pastor Matt, by the way, I I should have started off with this. Pastor Matt gave not only one of the best messages that I've heard him present, he gave maybe one of the best messages in LCM. History. Sunday was so fantastic. If you haven't listened to it, you need to get online or get on the app and you need to listen to it a couple of times. When you have an empathetic or a sympathetic ear while people are saying the wrong things, you must be careful lest your heart is showing to be just like the people of Israel. Look at verse 42. But when the assembly gathered in opposition to Moses, and turned towards the tent of meeting, suddenly the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord appeared. When these things go on long enough, the Lord hears it, and the Lord decides He's going to take care of it. There is no implication that Moses and Aaron cried out to the Lord. There's no implication that they said, "Lord, do you hear them? Are you listening to them?" The Lord heard it because he was listening. Verse 43, then Moses and Aaron went. To the front of the tent of meeting, and the Lord said to Moses, Get away from this assembly so I can put an end to them at once. Boy, this sounds kind of familiar, right? You get away from them. You know what this shows me? That while Moses was gracious and said, Lord, are you going to punish them for the sins of one man? Do you know who was right the first go around? God was. We are so glad for Moses to be an advocate. But you know who was right and who is always right, even when it looks wrong, even when he decides to show yet more mercy, you know who is always right? God. Man, when I saw that today, I was like, wow, you get away from him again. I went, oh, he was right. And then I laughed at myself like I needed to tell myself that God was right. Yeah, but he's right. Apparently, I did need to tell myself that. Get away from this assembly so I can put an end to them at once. And Moses and Aaron fell face down. By the way, this is the third time that they've fallen face down in this chapter. You know what should happen when there's intensity going around you? When God is bringing judgment and rewarding the righteous all simultaneously? You know what should be happening in your heart? You should be falling face down. You should not stand. There should not be one shred of a haughty eye in you. There should not be a shred of arrogance thinking that perhaps you know something better. There's not in me. I'm like, Lord, this is, I'm, I want to fall face down because you are always right. And all I want to do is follow you rightly. God resists the proud, but he gives grace and mercy to the humble. Let's keep reading here. Verse 46. Then Moses said to Aaron, this is an incredible passage. Stay with me. Take your censer and put incense in it along with the fire from the altar. So this is Moses talking to Aaron now. Okay? This is not the Lord talking to Moses. This is Moses speaking with Aaron. Take your censer and put incense in it along with the fire from the altar and hurry to the assembly to make atonement for them. Wrath has come out from the Lord. The plague has started. There are three acts of judgment in this chapter. One, the earth swallows the leaders. Two, Fire consumes the followers. Three, those whose hearts were sympathetic, there was a plague upon them. Lest we just point at someone else and go, man, you burned them up really good, Lord. This is designed for our hearts to cry out and say, Lord, may there not be any wicked way in me, Lord. Purify me, Lord. I want to have fruitfulness because there's purity running through this vine. I'm attached to You, Lord. I want to get this right. So Aaron did as Moses said and ran into the midst of the assembly. The plague had already started among the people. But Aaron offered incense and made atonement for them. You know how you would usually make atonement for someone? Is you would build an altar. And you would sacrifice an animal on it. You know what he did here? He ran out with the censer. And he atoned for the people with the censer that had incense rising before the Lord. His purity and the prayers that were coming from him was enough to atone for the people. But I've got one little thing to add to that. What was he atoning for? He was atoning for hearts that were full of rebellion and full of slander. Slander starts in our hearts first. In that secret place tucked away on the inside of us where we can think things even if we're not stupid enough to say it out loud. When I can look at someone in here and think something about them that I shouldn't, I'm beginning to slander them already. So the thing that was closest to the Holy of Holies, the censer of incense, the thing that was hidden away inside the tabernacle, the thing in that secret place of the Lord was used to combat the secret places in people's hearts. That they had now had the audacity to make public. So Aaron said, I too will take that which is secret and I will make it public before you. And he atoned For the people. Let's keep reading right here. This is an incredible passage. He stood between the living and the dead. Guys, as a pastor, I think of this verse all the time. This is my role, is to run towards people who are dying and stand in between the dead and the living and say, Lord, may my life, may what you've done in me, Lord, I'm going to remind you of what you've done. May there be atonement for this people. May there be righteousness for this people, Lord. And the the plague stopped. The plague stopped. He stood between the living and the dead. And Aaron won. Someone to be able to stand. Oh, if only there was someone who could stand in between our death and the life that we want. If only there was someone who could stand. Wow. What a beautiful picture Christ did. All we had was death. All we deserved was death. There was nothing that we could do to warrant it. And He stood and showed us how to become part of the life. He brought us into the life and caused the plague of death to stop in us. While we're, I told you earlier that chapter 17 has been going on for a while in the Hebrew writing. That they stopped... After Korah and the followers. And now that we're turning towards the people. And we see that the altar was made for them. We see that there was atonement made by Aaron for them. And let's see one more act of incredible mercy. Turn to chapter 17. Let's look at verse 5. Are you still with me? Chapter 17. This, so in other words, in the Hebrew mind, this is the same story. We've already been in part of the new story how God begins to work through the people to give them a reminder around the altar, to give them a reminder with Aaron standing in between death and life. And this is yet another thing. There were three acts of judgment, but there were three acts of the power of the Holy Spirit to show the people how to do this rightly. Numbers chapter 17 and verse 5 says this. The staff belonging to the man I choose will sprout. So what happens? is they took a staff of each of the head of the tribes. There are 12 tribes. So there were 12 staffs that they took. And each man was supposed to write his name on it. From the tribe of Levi, they said, make sure that Aaron... Make sure that Aaron has his name on the staff. This is now a staff. I want you to write... The name on it. The staff belonging to the man I choose is going to sprout. Everybody say, Sprout. Sprout. And I will rid myself of this constant grumbling against you by the Israelites. Why was God going to cause the staff to sprout? To stop the grumbling. The staff belongs to the man I choose, it will sprout. And I will rid myself of this constant grumbling against you by the Israelites. Now, for those of you who know the story well, we know that Aaron's staff sprouts. Folks, is this thing going to sprout? No. This has been long, 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 long time disconnected from the source. That would be like saying your wooden kitchen table starts sprouting flowers coming from the middle of it. If that happens, you call me over. (laughs) I want to see that. God's miraculous power can be in our midst to end the constant grumbling in our hearts. I think that the Lord can do some miraculous things in our midst tonight. We've got some sick babies, we've got some in the hospital. We've got sick people in this room. We've got problems. We've got all kinds of things. You know what I'm going to ask the Lord do for us tonight? Is that He show His miraculous power. But the point of the miraculous power is so that there's no grumbling in any one of us. Amen. Oh, we want miracles. We want miracles. He's not going to give you a miracle if you're going to turn around and grumble. You want Him to give you miracles, but the next day you're going to say, look what you did. Look what you did, pastor. Look what you did. People? Look what you did, young disciple. Look what you Oh, we would never be stupid enough to say it out loud. Grumble. Grumble, grumble. Hey. How about we have a moment where God's righteous standard can begin to show fruit in your life? Let's look down at verse 8. The next day, Moses entered the tent and saw that Aaron's staff, which represented the tribe of Levi, had not only sprouted. Come on, it not only sprouted. That'd be one thing. It sprouted. It budded. It blossomed. And it produced ripe almonds. Come on, what do you need God to do in your life tonight? Well, we just want the Lord to sprout in our midst. Really, is that all? Well, I need the Lord to kind of refresh me today. I've had a tough day. Okay. How about you have it sprout and bud and blossom and produce ripe fruit? Amen. Amen. Let me say it another way. How about you have it break forth? How about you have it bloom and flourish and yield mature fruit in your life? Amen. They put the staff... It did four levels of miracles overnight. What happens when you let the people go overnight? They start accusing Moses of killing God's people. What happens when the Lord gets involved in something? Man, you get such miraculous power working. Those things that you thought would never get fixed, they're fixed by tomorrow. Yes. Those parts in your heart that you just need to get transformed and revolutionized, it can happen before tomorrow. Come on. The things that you've been bound with, those sins that keep winning over you every time, he can have his staff butt in your life and they can be fixed by tomorrow. Amen. Come on now. I want to see the miracles in this church. I told you a couple of weeks ago, I felt like the Lord was going to start doing miracles. John Dang got a miracle this past Sunday. He wanted to come. He had an injured foot. He wanted to come and get prayed for. And the Lord said, don't you do that. I got you covered. He came down to the altar in repentance. You know what happened to his foot? Completely healed. Marlon, you ever had any miracles happen to you? (laughs) Speaking of legs getting healed? Speaking of things happening in our midst? Come on now. The next day Moses entered. It sprouted, it budded, it blossomed, and it produced almonds. Then Moses brought out all the staffs from the Lord's presence to the Israelites. They looked at them, and each man took his own staff So here we are getting to our conclusion tonight I've been so looking forward to getting to this part Do you know what happened We talk about Cora and his family they got swallowed by the earth Do you know that not all of his family got swallowed by the earth He had some sons He had some offspring that didn't actually follow with what good old dad had done. They decided that following the Lord was more important than following dad that was wicked. They decided to remove themselves and step back from that wickedness and side with the Lord. You know what the sons of Korah, one of the many things that they've done? They gave us some beautiful Psalms. You can write these down. I'm just going to read through them quickly. Psalm 42 verse 1, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you. Why are you so downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. Does it mean more to you now that you know who wrote it? These are the sons that watched their family get swallowed by the earth. Why are you so downcast, oh my soul? Don't you let yourself be negative. Put your focus. Put your hope on the Lord. Get your eyes up. Boy, that, that motivates me out of Psalm 42. What about Psalm 46, verse 1? God is our refuge and our strength. He is an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way. What? Isn't it better when someone has been struggling and they're struggling to have kids and they're like, no, you can do this. You can do this. You know why? Because we were struggling and we are able to have kids now. Well, doesn't that give just a special, special part in your heart? How about, therefore we will not fear though the earth give way. For people who watched the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. Come on, you should see that this is the testimony of those who separate themselves and say, we will go with the Lord no matter what. You take my family, you take our finances, you take whatever, I stand with the Lord today. And this is what you get. You get a testimony in the Holy Scriptures that we are all now being encouraged by. The end result of anyone who cries out to the Lord is a righteous remnant. God will not unjustly punish the righteous. He will justly punish the wicked and reward the righteous. Clap your hands, all you peoples. Shout unto God with cries of joy. Great is the Lord and most worthy to be praised. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Boy, these are things that re- that resonate within us. All of these quotes from Psalms by sons of Korah. Come on, what about you today? I've got two more scriptures, and then we're going to close. John chapter fifteen. This is the part. This is where we are. Don't you hold on to any grumbling in your heart? Don't you be sad at the Lord bringing righteousness a bit in our midst? Don't you hang your head? By what God is doing in our midst. Don't you let wicked thoughts get in there. I'm exhorting you today. I'm encouraging you today. Stand for what's righteous. And there will be fruitful ways in your life. You stand with the Lord. Don't let there be one part of you that grumbles. And you too can receive things like this. John 15. and verse 1. It says this. I am the true vine. And my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. It is a blessing from the Lord to have branches cut off that are unfruitful. While every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes. So there's cutting either way. You can assured. Well, I don't want to have the Lord like cut things away. No, it's either unfruitful so it needs to be cut off Or it's fruitful, but could be more fruitful if he comes and prunes it. Come on, what in your life needs to be more fruitful tonight? What do you need to invite the Lord to prune you tonight? So that we can do this rightly together. Lord, cut it off in me if it is not fruitful. I don't want it to be a part of my life. And the things that are fruitful, Lord, can you help me to be more fruitful? Come on. Some of us, all of us tonight need this. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself, but it must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in the vine. I am the vine. You are the branches. You know what that means? We don't get to choose. Our job is to stay connected. Our job is to stay where he is and remain in him. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Come on now. How many times have we really thought, though, apart from the Lord, well, we might be able to do a little bit. No, I can't do anything apart from Him. You can't do anything. I promise. I love you. But you can't do anything apart from Him. You know how I know it? Because it says it right there. We want to remain in Him tonight. Stand to your feet. I want to read one more passage to you.